0: Lord gave me something early this morning. I, I wrote it down, and if I could have your permission uh, and your patience, I, I'd like to read this. It's, uh, uh, the title of it is, What is Biblical Prayer? I posted it on Facebook this morning. Uh, what is biblical prayer? Biblical prayer is neither a ritual nor a religious obligation. It is fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ and then allowing Him by His Spirit to flow through us in the ministry of faith. And this is according to Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24. Thus, we speak the rhema, or the word of faith, and that's the terminology that Paul uses in Romans chapter 10, that we have a word of faith that's nigh us even in our mouth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that we receive faith by hearing, and hearing by the Rhema of God. So, uh, biblical prayer, the Spirit of the Lord flows through us, and we speak the Rhema, or words of faith, by His Spirit. And this is according to 2 Corinthians 4 13, I have believed, therefore I've spoken. In the Bible, Paul called that the Spirit of faith. So, thus we speak the Rhema, the words of faith, by His Spirit. This is the Spirit of faith, as the Lord speaks His will or His word through us this is prayer. This is prayer. I realize many people have a lot of different definitions of what prayer is, but this is biblical prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. This is the principle of prayer that every uh, man of God and child of God and the word of God practiced in their prayer lives. And it's pretty, it's very easy in my opinion To read about their prayer and what they pray and discern that this is exactly what they were doing. I'll continue. This spiritual flow of God's words or rhema in prayer is the most significant element of real prayer. These words of faith are alternately prayed or spoken in the language of the understanding, uh, our natural language, and with whatever language, other or unknown tongues, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 14, that the Spirit of God chooses to pray through us, because when we're praying in the in tongues, we're pray—it's our spirit praying. And Paul said, "What will I do?" First Corinthians fourteen fifteen. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. But whichever whichever a language that's praying through me, in my own language of my mind or my understanding, or in the language that the Spirit is choosing. I am praying the Rama of God. That is the will of God. That's the purpose of God. Entering into the flow of the Spirit is necessary because we do not know how to pray and neither and can never learn to pray real prayers independent of God's Spirit flowing through us. Why? Because the Spirit of God alone knows the will of God and he only can pray through us in the perfect will of God. I'm reading to you from Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Bible in Basic English Translation says it this way. And in the same way the Spirit is a help to our feeble hearts. For we are not able to make prayer to God in the, in the right way. But the Spirit puts our desires into words. Which are not in our power to say. And he who is the searcher of hearts. Has knowledge of the mind of the Spirit. Because he is making prayers for the saints in agreement with the mind of God. It is possible to use the principle of prayer against God in getting what you want from God, even if it's not the perfect will of God. But it is to your detriment. It is woe unto you if you do that. Therefore, biblical prayer is always predicated upon this, not my will, thine be done. And if I am praying Rhema, either in my language or in the spirit, according to Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27, I can be assured that I'm not praying according to my desires or my wills, will, but I'm, I'm praying according to the desires he has put in me and also his will that is being prayed through me. That's biblical prayer. Furthermore, Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, according to Ephesians six seventeen, And the Greek word there is not logos, but it is rhema. And the sword of the Spirit is implored or utilized in and by prayer. There's no other way to use the sword of the Spirit, but in and by prayer. Uh, again, as we've noted, according to the Greek text, using the sword is not simply repeating or quoting written texts from the Bible. It is speaking Rama, which is Logos, that is, the Spirit has quickened to us for this time, for this situation, that He wants us to, to pray these things, uh, He wants to pray these things through us so that they can be speak, spoken into the spiritual atmosphere of the earth. This is extremely, extremely important. For the sword Of the spirit to be effective. The spirit must be the initiator. Of these words. And not the flesh. A rhema cannot become a rhema. Because I ask for a rhema. A rhema cannot become a rhema. Because I begin to speak something. And God says hey that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. Rhema can only be a rhema. If it's initiated by God. Therefore if. Logos, or Rame is primarily spirit quickened logos. I can't go flipping through the Bible and find a verse I like and start praying or claiming that verse, uh, just because it's written in the Bible. I haven't built an ark. I'm not about to build an ark, but that's in the Bible. A man was told to build an ark, but I can't take that verse and say, well, now God's speaking to me to build an ark. Now, of course, he wants me to be a, be a a part of the Ark of Safety. In the New Testament, that's the Church of the Living God. But I'm not going to go build a boat, even though that's in the Bible, because the Holy Ghost is not quickening that to me, for me to go build a boat. So in order for Logos to apply to me right now, it's got to be quickened by the Spirit and become Rhema, even the plan of salvation has to be quickened to me. Nobody comes to God on their own terms. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And nobody could come unto Jesus except the Spirit draw him. So the Spirit of God is the one that quickens the word in my heart. The, the Spirit of the Lord is the one that, that germinates the seed of the word that's been preached to me and causes life to begin to take place. At the expense of uh, embarrassing some, not every egg of a woman becomes fertilized and becomes a baby. Not every egg. Every egg is potentially capable of being fertilized. But not every egg is fertilized. And every word of God is capable of producing great things. But it's got to be fertilized by the Spirit so that it's quickened in me and then begins to grow and produces what God wants to produce in my life and through my life in the earth. I can't just blindly take words out of here. Well, the question then comes, how do we learn to be sensitive to, uh, to rhema? The word is pretty simple. Some will have a problem with it. The word is practice. I read to you, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk and not of of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The the expanded Bible translation puts it this way. But solid food. Verse 14. But solid food is for those who are grown up or mature. They are mature enough. Who through practice slash exercise. Have trained their faculties or senses. To know the difference between good and evil. I have to learn. By spending time with Jesus and with the Spirit of Jesus and with the Word of Jesus, the Bible, I have to spend time with the Word and the Spirit for my spirit to begin to be sensitized to God talking to me. I have to be able to do that. Now, I believe that God attempts to talk to everybody, but many, many never recognize that it's God talking to them. Many people who are Christians never recognize that God is talking to them. But according to the word of God, if I spend time with Jesus, uh, I can, and, and, and I hide his word in my heart, his word and his spirit will teach me over time how to be sensitive and pray. And I believe that when I'm praying Rhema, I have a, a, a witness of the Holy Ghost. I, I sense that these aren't my words, that I am speaking words that are given to me. And so I learned to hear and repeat, hear and repeat. The Lord says what you hear uh, in the closet, speak on the housetop or uh, something along that line. Uh, what you hear in the ear, shout it from the from the rooftops. Hear in what ear? Not my natural ear what I hear the Lord speaking in my spiritual ear. He that hath ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So this is how I become sensitive to Rhema. Because this spiritual flow is so critical to praying in a biblically defined manner, personally, I always start my morning of prayer by praying in the Spirit or speaking in tongues first thing when I wake up. I do this until I have I fully have a flow and a manifestation of God's presence in and upon me. Only then do I do any significant praising and thanksgiving as the prelude to an entrance into positioning prayer, which I'll talk about a little bit, which is necessary to effectively pray kingdom prayer. I I, I love this verse, Isaiah 50 and 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. not The word learned there is not educated. It's someone who has spent time with him and learned of him. Come unto me all ye that labor in heaven laden. I'll give you rest. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the learning. This is the learning. I learn about Jesus. By spending time in the presence of Jesus. And by reading the word of God with Jesus. Yes, that's what I said is what I meant. It's not intellectual. It's not intellectual. It's spiritual. But he he continues. He wakeneth. Morning, Bible morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learning. This is exactly what the Lord wants to do in the morning. You don't want to go through any of your day without taking the time first thing in the morning to get to get your spirit awake, to get your connection between you and God established for that day. You've just spent four, six, eight hours or whatever it is in a virtually unconscious state. You're making no decisions, you're not exercising the mind or the will, you're not flowing in the spirit. You may you may talk to God or or God may talk to you while you're asleep. But normally, the, the majority of the time, we're in some kind of almost semi-unconscious state. But when I wake up in the morning and my mind starts working again, and it's time to start using my will again. I don't want to do that naturally. I want to do that spiritually. I want to get connected. I want to get tuned in to Him. So the first thing I do is begin to let the Spirit flow. Well, a preacher, I don't really speak in tongues very easily. Well, I would pray for you that you would pray until you can because it should be second nature spiritually. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost when I was 10 years old. And probably didn't speak in tongues more than once or twice a year for the first 10 years of my life. But then God made it very clear to me uh, through my pastor uh, that it was his preference for me and a necessity for me that I be able to pray easily in tongues. And I don't have the time to go into all of that today, but it's, uh, it was an awesome thing. And so I made up my mind, this has got to change. And so I began to spend a lot of time in prayer at the church, uh, just trying to, not to learn how to speak with tongues, but how to get past me, how to get past my will, how to get past my flesh. And I was single, so I had t- a lot more time available at that point in time. And uh, and I did. And after a couple of weeks of praying many hours, I broke through into a place that I have still maintained to this day where it is easy to talk in tongues. Many people think, well, that's not possible. The reason they think that is because they think speaking in tongues is an emotional experience and that it is emotionally activated. There is no biblical basis whatsoever for believing or teaching that speaking in tongues is primarily an emotional experience and or that it is emotionally activated it is neither of those it is the spirit that speaks through me not some feeling and if i have the spirit of the lord evident in me resident in me and i i can at any time i need to or he wants me to simply yield my faculties to him and let him pray through me in other tongues by doing that, I not only can pray in the, in the spirit, but I learn how to flow in the spirit. And now I can learn also how to have that same flow when I am praying in English, which is my natural language. This is very critical. It's very, very important. And it is, uh, deeply disturbing to me that many, many, many people who or have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, find it very difficult to pray in the Spirit or praise in the Spirit. And uh, I would strongly encourage you to not settle for that. I don't care how long ago it's been since you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I, I strongly encourage that you don't settle for that. You need to be able to fellowship in the Spirit. You need to be able to flow in the Spirit And the Lord needs you to be able to hear and repeat uh, what he wants to say through your natural language. He also wants you to be able to let him flow through you in either a heavenly language or earthly language that he chooses, but not a language that you know. Uh, When the Lord wakes us in the mornings, he desires to do more than awaken awaken us naturally. He wants to waken his spirit in us and us to his spirit. What is the focus of this awakening? He wakes up our ears to hear what his spirit is saying. By doing this, he can then begin to lead us into prayer, enable us to pray in a manner that pleases him. Matthew 6 and 9, which is not, this is not the last time you'll hear that in this lesson or the next lesson. After this manner, pray ye. Praise God. So the, the Lord gave me that in prayer this morning. Uh, why because it is his will for his people to learn to pray biblically so very many honest sincere good people that that love god to the best of their ability don't know how to pray and prayer is a ritual to them a prayer is a spiritual obligation and they put in their time because they're a christian and christians are supposed to pray and so we spend time in some posture, kneeling or sitting or whatever, and we we say words, and and uh, and it doesn't work for us. It just doesn't work. It doesn't. The reason it doesn't work isn't because prayer doesn't work. It's that we're not praying biblically. Biblical prayer always works. Always works. Praise God. I want to. I, I want to just come to this back here a minute we have somehow got to get out of our minds that whether it's literally thought this way or emotionally mentally whatever that god is he's sitting on the throne with his frown on his face and he's got his little notebook out he's checking off to see if how many people prayed today and how many didn't pray today and did you, how much time you put in. He keeps track of all that and, and you know gives you points for how much. And Maybe you don't think of that consciously, but there's so many people who, who believe in Jesus Christ that that's really their attitude toward prayer. It's something I'm obligated to do. Well, if you are the Lord God, our Father, and that is the attitude that your people have in talking to you, spending time with you, Uh, that doesn't make you feel really good. You say, oh, the Lord doesn't feel like that. Really? How about Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 32? Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. So many of the people of God don't have time. They're too busy. Don't have time to pray. We're busy. Our lives are very busy, you know, because we got to get up in the morning and go out and milk the cows and collect the eggs, and then we got to get the, the the container of wheat down and get our mill out and grind it into some power, flour so we can mix it up and make some dough, and we got to go chop some wood to get it in our stove so that we can have a fire and cook breakfast because we got stuff to do. And then later on, uh, the precious uh, folks that do the washing, whoever that is in your household has to get out the, 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 the old tub and, uh, and heat some water on that wood burning stove and heat, heat it all up and get the scrub board out and begin to wash the clothes and hang them out on the line and hope it doesn't rain till they dry. And, 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 and uh, sweep the house sweep it out you can sweep it in the yard because there may not be a whole lot of grass out there cuz that's work and uh, life is so full cuz that's how full we are right cuz we 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 that's that's how consumed our lives are no our lives in this day and time are filled with stuff filled with stuff filled with most of which if we never did any of those things that we're our lives are filled with ever again, we would not be the least bit deprived. No. Oh, our lives are full. Our, our lives are full of stuff. And our time is filled up with stuff. And we're haggard trying to keep up with all this activity we've got going on. But we don't have time to pray. And we hustle in the church exhausted and Sit there trying to stay awake, and then we finally hope the preacher's not too long tonight because we need to go home, go to bed. And of course, we never go right to bed when we go home. we got to check our uh, Facebook account, and we got to check our email, and make sure we've returned all the texts, and make sure we uh, check in with our friends to finalize our plans for this weekend of our uh, party or fellowship or whatever we're going to call it world calls it a party and we call it fellowship and our time is just full and our church calendars are just full of all kind of stuff too and we don't have time to pray we don't have time to pray well the lord said uh my people have forgotten me days without number it doesn't sound to me like he's okay with that but then earlier in the same chapter he says Jeremiah two nine. Wherefore I will plead with you, will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. Yes, my spiritual decisions today are going to affect how God deals with my children and my children's children. I just let that one sink in a little bit. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see. If there be such a thing, hath the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which is doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. When we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he told the woman at the well, and she John 4 and also to the multitude at the feast in John 7 that he was going to be in us he was going to put in us a well of living water the spirit of God flowing out of us to not only keep us and our thirst quenched but also that we would have a flow to give to others who are thirsty but he said my people have committed two evils they've forsaken me the fountain of living waters and they've they've created rock, holes in the rock called cisterns that you pour water in as a storage place, because it doesn't have its own source of supply. But my people's problem is they they hewed out cisterns that are broken; and they can hold no water. So the people of God, rather than having a fountain of living water bubbling up inside of them all the time, giving them peace and joy and hope and prayer and Fellowship with God, it—they uh, it, are empty, and they're so addicted to good church services to keep them going a few more days. This is not what the Lord's called us to. It's not what He's called us to. Um, see, the early church progressed in their walk with God in Acts two forty-two. Uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Look at this list. Uh, All of these things are important. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, spending time with each other. The fellowship there is the spiritual side of the fellowship. Breaking of bread is just spending time with each other and in prayers. And so notice the order here. And that was... It was at the beginning because they're just baptized with the Spirit and they're coming out of religion. So they still have some of the religion's priority. Is apostolic doctrine not important? It's absolutely essential. Is fellowshipping one with another and with God important? Absolutely essential. But where's prayer come in this order? In John 6, or Acts 6, verse 4, when the apostles were overwhelmed because the church had grown and now there was business to take care of and they needed someone to help them administrate the feeding of the widows, uh, they said, you pick out seven men for them to do that because, Acts 6, 4, but we will give ourselves continually, not continuously, meaning twenty four seven but continually meaning as a priority of our day on a regular uh, on an everyday basis it was something that's that's our priority uh, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word you see the the order changed there in the few short weeks, months, years, however long it was from Acts 2 to Acts 6, uh, they learned something. That the most important part of their day was prayer. And that the ministry of the word, without it being totally founded upon prayer, biblical prayer, it was not effective. And it's not effective today oh we have many many men who are great students in preparing great sermons but you hear them speak and there's no there's nothing behind it oh they can get an emotional charge out of people but there's no conviction there's no impact when they talk because while their words may be true there's no there's no spiritual import there's no sense or awareness that these words are not coming from the man but they're actually coming from God. Why? Because prayer is not the priority of their life. Preparing sermons that people will like and be moved by and impressed by and maybe even saved by. Saved by is their priority. But according to the apostles, their priority had changed in just four chapters. Whereas Prayer was mentioned last in the list in Acts 2. They now are putting it first in the list. Oh, here, you ready? Here, horror of horrors, even ahead of preaching. They put it ahead of preaching. Uh, I didn't write it. I didn't write it. And I didn't sneak into your house and change your Bible. Read it for yourself in your Bible. Acts chapter 6 verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. By God's own act and will, He has limited Himself in the temporal dimension of time to accomplish the salvation of men only through human involvement. Therefore, for his plan and purpose to come to fruition, he requires willing and submitted human vessels and instruments to work through. He he requires that. He has to have that. That's his plan. That's his purpose. It's his plan and purpose. (laughs) I mean, Cornelius, live such a life at God's, God's attention. The angel told Cornelius that your prayers and alms have come up before God as a memorial. And the Greek word there, memorial, comes from two root words. One means to stay in the mind and chew. Cornelius's prayer and his giving to the people of God because they were in need, the Jews, Hebrews, So moved God, it stayed in God's mind and chewed on God till he sent an angel. But notice, the angel didn't preach to Cornelius. Why? Angels aren't allowed to preach. They may bring a message from God, but they're not allowed to preach the gospel. Not allowed to preach the gospel. God has limited himself to not directly preach the gospel to people. His will is, that there'd be a man. I don't mean male, a human. He's got to have somebody to work through. And how do you trust the words of somebody speaking to you that doesn't spend any time, significant time with God? How can you ever trust that those words come from God if they're not born out of a relationship with God? How can you do that? Most people really don't. That's the problem. The preacher might be a nice guy, He might be an honorable fellow. He may be doing his best to live a good life. But if he doesn't spend time with God, he's not hearing from God. And his sermons may be interesting and captivating and and inspiring. But they're not from God if he didn't hear it from God. The Lord even taught us to pray. We'll talk about that some later on this lesson. Also in the next lesson. Uh, he taught us we're supposed to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wait, wait a minute. You mean God can't do his will down here. Without man being involved. Well Jesus is the one that spoke those words. Specifically. And he did so on two different occasions. Because when he spoke those words, or similar words, in Matthew 6, it was a completely different setting than when he spoke those words in Luke 11. So at least twice we know he said that. So God has, God's the only one with enough power and authority to limit himself. And he limits himself to not do anything in the earth without man being involved. Now, we want to climb up in our grandstand, get our popcorn and soda, sit and watch God work while we do nothing. There's no biblical place for Christian spectators. There's no place. And the only reason the person is a biblical spectator or trying to be is because they don't pray. Prayers aren't satisfied with being spectators. Never be satisfied being spectators. They want to be involved in the spirit. They want to be involved in allowing the Lord to use them as conduit. Problem we've got is, okay, 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 okay. Okay, I'm going to try to pray, preacher, but you don't know what all I've done. And you don't know how messed up I am. And I'm so weak. And I'm so this, that, and the other. And God can't use me. Well, there's a slight problem with that. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Any, Mary, let him sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Our priority is seeing the person healed. God's priority for a person being sick is to see their sins forgiven. And that they're saved. He said, uh, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or accomplishes much. And then he gave this example. Elias, that's Elijah in the Old Testament, was a man subject to like passions as we are. He wasn't a superman. He wasn't a superman. And if you study his life, you will see he rode an emotional roller coaster. Spiritual roller coaster, not so much. Emotional roller coaster, human emotion roller coaster, oh yeah. Oh yeah. One minute he's standing up resisting four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal, and the next minute he's running from a woman. From Queen Jezebel. And he runs and hides and then says, God, why don't you kill me? Why'd he run if he wanted to die? She'd have taken care of that for him. And yet the Bible says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Three and a half years didn't rain because the prophet, this man like us, prayed. Boy, he's not really like us. He didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. What was the purpose? So he could show his magic? Did he pray like that so everybody would be impressed? Or so everybody would be afraid of him? Oh, better watch out for Elijah. Because he'll pray and I won't rain on you. No. His purpose was to bring Israel to repentance. For their salvation. He wasn't playing parlor games he wasn't putting on a magic show his motive in praying was the salvation of people and god honored it god honored it why is that so important to us because we need to learn what biblical prayer is we need to learn study how many times in the old testament the word ask is used in reference to It was a lot. Study how many times the word ask is used in reference to prayer in the four Gospels. It wasn't as much, but it's still a lot. Study how many times the word ask is used in reference to prayer in the book of Acts. And it's even less in all of the Gospels and Revelation. Why? Because on the day of Pentecost, not only did the covenants change, prayer changed. One of the main prayer changes was they now had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They now could pray in the Spirit. Well, whose words am I praying when I pray in the Spirit? Not mine. I don't even know what I'm saying. The Spirit of the Lord is empowering me to pray for that which I need to pray for. And it's sometimes when it's called intercession, He is praying His own words through me. And I'm, I'm a conduit. So that was one of the big changes, but it was also demonstrative or it demonstrated the transition in prayer principle, that prayer is not just asking, making petition, give me this, do this, change this, fix this, whatever, no, prayer was now speaking in faith. The Lord told us in in Matthew 6, uh, I know what you need before you ask it. So don't take any thought for what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on. You're you're more important than all of the birds and the grass I take care of. You don't have to pray for this. I'm your father. But believers are more need-based prayers than they're anything else. And if we have a need, we can pray. But on those days we don't really have a need, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray about. Is that really the way that's supposed to be? Not according to Jesus. He said, I know what your needs are before you ask them. So what's the purpose? The purpose is to become a conduit for the Lord to pray through us. For instance, in uh, Mark 11, verse 12, it says that on the morrow that when they were Would come from Bethany. He was hungry, seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. He came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Jesus answered and said unto him, No man eat fruit of thee. Said unto it, the tree. He spoke to a tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. Uh, Some time later, a few days, I think it was. Mark chapter 11, verse 19, And when even was come, they went out of the city, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling and remembering, saith him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedest is wither away. And Jesus answering, saith unto him, Have faith in God. Jesus is answering Peter's statement, The fig tree is dead from the roots up. For verily I say unto you, That whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith. Shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you. What things soever ye desire. When ye pray. Believe that ye receive them. And ye shall have them. Notice that. In verse 23. He's not talking about asking anything. He's talking about speaking. Whatsoever things you say. If you believe, doubt not your heart, you will have what you say. Therefore, that's conjunction. I say unto you, what things soever you desire. That Greek word there is the one that's also translated ask. So notice that the word translated ask speaks as much about what he puts in our heart to be motivated to pray about as it does the act of Asking. Because he didn't say anything about asking. Oh, Father, I pray that you move this great mountain. He didn't say that. He didn't teach that. He said, you will speak to this mountain. That whatsoever, whosoever shall say, undo this mountain. Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he said. Shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith." Therefore I say unto you, what things soever... What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, ye shall have them. The parallel passage, Matthew chapter 21 verse 19, And when he saw a fig tree in the way he came to it, found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. That doesn't mean it did it at that moment, because there'd be a contradiction to the scripture presently at which some time and when the disciples saw it they marveled saying how soon is the fig tree withered away Jesus answered and said unto them verily I say unto you if ye have faith and doubt not ye shall not not only do this which is done to the fig tree but also it, if ye shall say under this mountain be thou removed be thou cast of the sea and it, it shall be done and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Again, the same word ask there is translated desire in Mark. It's translated desire. Do I ask or do I speak? He said speak. So whatsoever whatsoever ye shall ask or desire in prayer, believing you shall receive it. So again, the spirit of faith, first, second Corinthians chapter four, verse 13. I have believed, therefore have I spoken. What I have received in my spirit from the Father, He initiates the rhema. I hear the rhema in my spirit. I believe the rhema. I speak the rhema. I don't initiate that, but that's how faith comes. So then faith, Romans 10 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And why is this important? I have touched on some of this in earlier lessons, but I really felt like I was supposed to at least review this before I got into the uh, the rest of this lesson and also for the next lesson. We We need to understand how the power of God works. Sitting in the parking lot of this building, there is an SUV. It's Mine, well, not actually mine. It belongs to the leasing company. But under the hood of that SUV is an engine that is rated at 420 horsepower. You say that's powerful. Not right at this moment, it's not. It's only potential. It's doing nothing. It's not, engine's not running. Car's not moving. Nothing's happening. Oh, there's great potential under that hood. But it's not activated and it's not operating. And we must have, we must understand our part in participating with the Lord for him to activate his power in us and for it to operate through us. The Greek word translated dunamis, according to some Greek scholars, which we translate power or miraculous power. As a synonym, it primarily means potential, what it's potentially able to do. For instance, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now that sounds like a fairly straightforward verse, doesn't it? Except that, what does the Greek word behind these words mean? It is God which worketh in you. The Greek word there is the verb to activate, to to uh, cause to operate, to be active. In other words, God's the one that causes that power to begin to be able to work. So activating something and operating is not the same thing, but it's very closely related. So I get in the SUV with my key and I push the button and turn it on and now it's activated. But if I put my hands on the steering wheel, my feet on the uh, the accelerator brake pedal and I shift it in the gear, now it is operating. The power that was only potential is now active and when properly applied, it is operating. Which is exactly what Philippians 2.13 says. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do, if His good pleasure. To do there is the same Greek word as God worketh in you. It, it, he is the one that is activating in me the desire. He is causing it to operate through me so that I can do. Operative power accomplishes things. Inherent power that is not active and not operating accomplishes nothing. It only has the potential to. The Logos in the Word of God, the Word of God, which is Logos, must be activated by being spoken, which is called Rhema. Unspoken Logos cannot be Rhema. Those things specifically imparted to us in the Word of God, the Logos, that need to be active in our lives every day must be activated each day by being spoken, claimed or received. So, that's why I call this next part positioning prayer. There are things in the Bible that I'm promised. As an act of faith, as a part of my preparation to participate in the kingdom prayer, praying I I participate in what the Lord's taught me, which I call positioning prayer. For instance, he loves me. Well, there's a slight problem with that. I can only be loved if I receive it. So, do I need to say this every day, brother? You don't have to say it at all. That's between you and God. But for me, I want my ears, my natural ears to hear me saying it. I want my heart, I want my spirit, I want this human will to hear me speak these things as the decision of my life because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if I've got enough faith to speak it, I've got enough faith for it to happen and I want my entire natural being to hear me pray these things. I don't pray the same thing every prayer, every day. I flow in the Spirit. Some days He has me pray some things more in depth than other days. I, I just flow with the Lord, whatever He's having me pray. But there are certain things I pray, either in depth or in touching them every day. Receiving the love of God is one. Why? Because 1 John 4, 16 says, And we have known and believed that the love that God hath toward us, we have known and believed the love that that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in God in love dwelleth in God. And God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. The Greek word there for judgment is K-R-I-S-I-S in the English equivalent letters, which from which we get the word crisis. If you can't learn to trust the love of God in the crisis here, how are you going to trust the God, the Lord in the judgment then? If you can't allow the love of God to, to strengthen you and encourage you and empower you to face the crises of life. Here, how are you going to face the judgment then? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So therefore, if I want to love him, I've got to first receive his love. And then, of course, in in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That is, uh, uh, that this is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is the other commandment greater than these. The Greek word agape, which is the word that refers only to love that comes from God. God is love, 1 John four sixteen. God is agape. That's the love talked about here. So if I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's going to be because I receive love and it empowers me to love. I pray that. If I'm going to love others, i first got to see value in myself. So the only place I see value is the love God had for me. And that tells me what I'm worth to God, which should tell me what I should be worth to myself and to the kingdom. And so therefore, that then empowers me to be a conduit so that he can love my neighbor through me. In the same manner in which I receive his love for me, I'm supposed to be a conduit for his love to flow through me to my neighbor. All that's necessary for the love of God. I pray these things to to varying degrees every day. Because I want this to be the case of my life. Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, if you agape me, keep my commandments. Because the love of God is the only source of the power that would enable me to faithfully keep the commandments of God. I pray that. Then also, another thing I pray for is the righteousness of God. The kingdom of God. Knowing Jesus. Matthew 5 and 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Psalms 32.1 says. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Isaiah 61 to 10 says. That we are given a robe of righteousness. Galatians 3.27 says. For as many as are baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. Ephesians 4.24 says that we're supposed to put on the new man which is created in Christ Jesus in righteousness and true holiness. So there's supposed to be a covering here. Because when the Lord looks at me, I want to know that he doesn't see me in all my faults, faults and flaws and failures. I I want him to know that he sees his own righteousness that I'm covered with. Then... Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is the priority of my day. This is the priority of my prayer, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the only time he said this. He said it a couple other times, directly and indirectly. This is supposed to be the priority of my day. The priority of my day is supposed to be prayer, and the priority of my prayer is supposed to be the kingdom of God. How do I do that? That's what these lessons. This and the next lessons are all is all about is helping us understand how to pray kingdom prayer in obedience to Matthew 6.33 uh, and the other verses on that line. And then also, so I hunger for righteousness, then I hunger for his kingdom, then I hunger for him, Philippians 3, seven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the ecstasy of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, I want His righteousness. and I'm told to hunger and thirst for His righteousness. I want His kingdom. And I'm told to seek first His kingdom every, every day. And Paul said, I want to know Him so much that nothing else matters to me. No matter what it costs me, it's all compared to dung compared to what I received from Christ. This is an attitude and a spirit of prayer. This is, These are the motives behind prayer that I'm supposed to have. I can't have these without the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. What does that mean? The blessing is not receiving righteousness. The blessing is the fact that I have received hunger and thirst. The Lord is working in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. I have to start with the will first. I have to start letting Him cause me to have the desire to seek Him. I will never pray biblical prayers that please God. That I initiate. I must allow him to initiate this in me. As a desire every day. Oh. I tried to pray. I spent many years trying to pray. I'd pray some days. Some days I didn't. Some days I spent time calling it prayer. It wasn't prayer. Uh, there were days God in his mercy actually. Responded to what I was praying. He actually did that. I appreciate that very much. But. uh I spent a lot of time praying stuff that he did, not, he did not initiate, he did not sanction, he did not teach. I spent a lot of time. A lot of time. But the Lord in his mercy is teaching. And while I may now be 70 years old, I am not quitting, I'm not retiring. I am still learning, still growing. In grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because what else is there? I don't want anything else. Not looking for a cabin someplace I can hang out in. Not looking for a condo in Florida. And I'm not saying either one of those are sin. But it's not for me. Not looking to be able to play golf every day. It's not for me. I don't want to do that. I want to seek first the kingdom of God today. I want to know Jesus. Jesus. I want to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. But I can't do that myself. So here I am, Father. Activate this in me. Give me the desire to want to know you, to want to be a part of you, a part of your kingdom, part of your plan. Give me that desire. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, or therefore let us either ways accurate, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This word obtain this word find are not the same word, not the same idea. I come boldly before the the throne of grace to readily receive what uh, is waiting on me there. Mercy. I need that to start my day. But I must find grace. I must seek for grace. That's what the word find means. Seek until I find. Every day. I come boldly because I need grace today. What do I need it for? I need grace help. I don't need grace grace to help me do something. That, even though that's the way the King James Version reads. The word uh, to help there in the Greek, according to the scholars I've read after and uh, the trans, uh, interlinears that I've looked at, it's not a, not a verb. It's a noun. It's not grace to help. It's grace help. I come to find, seek grace help. I want grace to empower me both the will and to do what pleases God through me. I want grace to do that. I don't want grace to help me try to do it. I want grace help. But I'm to become boldly for that. Well, how do I do that? <laughs> I need to, I need to do that every day. I need to do that every day. There needs to be an activation of mercy and grace every morning as a priority of our Positioning prayer. Psalms 59 16 says, But I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Again, Isaiah 50 and 4, I've read already. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. They made a song out of this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to put the kingdom first. The Greek word for first in Matthew 6.33 means not only first in order of time, but first in priority. It has both of those meanings to it. I want that. I want to be a part of that. Why? Because the apostles spoke impartation in the written word that's supposed to be quickened by the Spirit in us that we need to receive every day. And as I was learning this, There'd be some days I'd pray this and other days I didn't. And oh, over time, I began to recognize the great difference in my life and how my day went. Not that one day was problem-free and the other had was full of problems. Oh, no. But how I handled what all went on during the day, depending on how I prayed. Paul, Peter, John, others. They prayed something along this line Grace, mercy, and peace from the Father be upon you. When they were speaking to humans, when Paul was speaking to Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and in Titus, grace, mercy, and peace from the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. When he's speaking to the church, it was grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning of every epistle, Paul wrote that. And then we get down to Peter. 1 Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling the brother of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. In other words, it's not a static amount. I can have that multiplied. I can grow in grace, Peter said. 2 Peter 3, 18. I can grow in grace and the knowledge. I can have grace and peace multiplied in me. How could you not want that? Second Peter 1.2 Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord and, our, and Jesus our Lord. How could somebody not want that? 2 John 1.3 Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of, of the Father in truth and love. Jude, verse 2 Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. A different order. But the same three things Love, mercy, peace which is, grace is, the love of God at work in your life. multiplied. So there's no place in God to have a static relationship with God. There's no place in God to arrive and stay there until you leave this life. There's no place. It's not acceptable to God for that to be the case. There's so many other verses that use those words. In the New Testament, the epistles. I, I don't have time to read them all. But these three things need to be active, activated. And I pray something along this line. It varies every day. Something along this line. Father, I receive your grace today. Because you said, John 15, 5, Without you I can do nothing. I receive your grace today to work in me. Both the will and to do of your good pleasure. And then, Father, your mercy is new this morning. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then forgive me if my sins. Whatever it is I did I shouldn't have done or didn't do that I should have done, I'm only dealing with yesterday's sin because I dealt with the day before sin yesterday. So I don't have multiple days, weeks, months, years of sin to deal with because every morning, his mercy's new. And if His mercy's new every morning, I'm going to make sure everything that I did or didn't do that might be displeasing to God, I want it covered by His mercy today. Today. And then, uh, then Peter said, 1 Peter 3 and 11, Seek peace and pursue it. And so I pray, Father, you said you'd give grace unto the humble. So therefore, by the empowerment of your grace, I humble myself unto your mighty hand that you may exalt me in due time by your grace empowering me to cast all my cares upon you today for you care for me. This is the only part of this entire prayer that I pray for me and I pray it for me to get rid of all the pressure. To get rid of all the things I'm carrying. All of it. Get rid of all of it. Literally. Literally. And I pray that. In general and specific. In general and things specific. Uh, until my mind is clear. My spirit's clear. I've got no pressure. And I'm ready to go on. For me. As a bishop. There are those that. Have submitted not to me as a person, but to the lord's authority that he has entrusted me with it's not my authority it's his it's not my office it's his I'm just a conduit, but I do have responsibility to pray a covering of authority over those that have knowingly or unknowingly submitted this authority. It's not something where I'm not talking about calling somebody up and reading the right act and whatever uh I'm talking about prayer. Prayer. Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, that we should pray all kind of prayers for all saints. So, I pray this prayer. Uh, I pray the prayer of covering of authority. Uh, I have in my mind at that time, the old man Moses on the mountaintop with people holding his hands up because the hands represented the covering of authority. And Joshua was in the valley fighting a battle for Israel. And when the covering was there, the valley went, uh, the battle went Israel's way. When he couldn't keep his arms up, when he was holding them up by himself, the battle went against Israel. And so there is a, there's a teamwork here between those with authority and those that are doing the work. The, the covering has to be there, and the covering has to be received and respected, and it's God's authority. But it's, there's got to be a covering of authority, and I pray that. And I won't go into any more detail than that. But if I'm a husband and a father, I should be praying a covering of authority over my home and my family. If I am a pastor, I should be covering a praying the covering of authority over uh, my uh, the, the people that uh, uh, that I have to give account to in the judgment if I'm a home group leader whatever your church calls home groups I need to be praying for those people specifically every day and, uh, and I do pray for them another thing I pray as I'm participating in all of this in preparation for kingdom praying is the armor of God huh. finally my brethren be strong in the Lord Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 be strong in the Lord the power of His might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I know a lot of people they they've never bothered this. You know why they're not involved in any kind of spiritual conflict for the kingdom of God's sake. You can't be involved with in the kingdom of God not without being involved with in kingdom with conflict with the kingdom of darkness. You can't be. And denial is the same thing as defeat. If I deny there's even any conflict going on, I've already accepted defeat because I don't want to fight. Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've run my race, finished my course. Paul said that his life was a fight. Not against people. Not against flesh and blood. So all that's changed since Paul lived? I don't think so. It sure, sure was the case in Jesus' life. sure was the case in the Bible in the early church's life it is in ours too put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities power, against powers against rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have it done all to stand stand therefore you want to put on truth as a girdle or a belt, and it's not only a protection for the loins, but it's also a weapons belt. All Several different weapons fit into that belt. Put on righteousness not just as a covering for salvation, but as a breastplate to protect all your spiritually vital organs. Put on peace as the preparation of uh, the gospel of peace, to be able to, be able to go out and and, and to endure the difficult terrain of of life. And Romans sixteen twenty says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. I'm supposed to then take the shield of faith. This is not the faith that's, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This is the faith of trust in the Father. It's a defensive thing that keeps the fiery darts of accusation that tries to bring doubt and fear into my life. I block them. So that they don't get to me. They can't cause me problems. I take the helmet of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8 says it's the hope of salvation. And uh, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. This and the next are the only two offensive weapons. The, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God or the ram of God. And then I take... Then he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, watching thereunto with all spirits and supplication for the saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So therefore, I, I take up the sword of the Spirit, and what is the arena in which I use the sword of the Spirit? Prayer. All kinds of prayer, and I pray all kinds of prayer in the Spirit, And I do it with perseverance, persistence. It's prevailing prayer. And I pray first first and foremost for all the saints. And then you pray for the lost. And Paul said, pray that I would be given a spirit of utterance. A spirit of utterance. Praise God. Because we are to pray in the spirit. Romans 8.26 says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh the intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And again, the Bible in basic English, Romans 8, 26. And in the same way, the Spirit is able to to help, is a help to our feeble hearts, for we are not able to make prayer to God in the right way. But the Spirit puts our desires into words which we are not which are not in our power to say through our minds. That's the implication there. We all have this infirmity. We all have this infirmary. None of us know how to pray as we ought. (laughs) Do we honestly think the way we think a problem should be solved and when we think it should be solved and how we think it should be solved is really the best way? We don't know how to ask for that. We don't know how. So we cast the care and then we let the Spirit pray through us when it's time for that particular thing. Whether in giving us Raymond to speak to it or in praying through us in other tongues. That's what, we, that's what we do. That's what we're called to do. So what's the purpose of all of this? All of this that I've talked about already is for the purpose of getting me to the place that I am ready to pray Kingdom prayer. Kingdom prayer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Well, how do I pray? How do I seek first the kingdom of God? Matthew 6 and 9. After this manner, uh, therefore pray ye, and He gives us, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven, and so on and so forth. This is kingdom praying. This is these things, not repeating these words, but these elements are things that God has given us to pray, and they are seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what he's told us to do. Uh, What's so awesome about kingdom praying is we become partners with the Lord. The prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer is actually an invitation to and instructions on how we are to participate with Jesus in his purpose every day. He has called us to be laborers with Him, together with Him, daily. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Second Corinthians 6, 1 We then, as workers together with Him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. And then, of course, some of the most awesome verses in all of the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I, I can't read all of that. There's not time here. I su- strongly suggest you do that. I call it three dimensions of a burden. The first reason I get involved with the loss is because I'm going to stand before God and be judged for my works, good or bad. Second of all, 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I'm involved with the loss because of the lost. But then 2 Corinthians 5.14, uh, The love of Christ constraineth us, compels us, arrests us. because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And in that he died, uh, they that live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And then, of course, verse 17 says, If any man be as Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass passed away. Behold, all things become new. And then you come down to this, to it. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. uh, Because, because. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, in Christ's place, be you reconciled to God. He that knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's not an exact quote of any of those verses. but It's close enough for this moment. The point being, <laughs> we are his ambassadors. He's not sitting in some foreign country and we're over here as foreign missionaries by ourselves trying to make this work. No, 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 no. When it says we, we pray in Christ's stead, we are now the body of Christ. And God is now using the body of Christ on the earth or wants to use the body of Christ on earth today just like He used the body of Christ on earth 2,000 years ago. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. Therefore, the purpose of prayer is not to persuade God to do something which is already His idea. He has already paid every price necessary to provide and accomplish all that He has purposed to do. God's problem is is that he cannot find enough people who are willing to pray those things into the world. Man gave up the authority and dominion over the earth by sinning, but God has provided the means whereby we can redeem that dominion through the the same name, word, and power, spirit, and blood that redeemed us. Prayer is God's ordained and predetermined method of bringing His will to pass. Anything and everything which we attempt to do with God, which does not have persistent prevailing prayer, as its foundation is doomed to futility and failure. Prayerlessness causes God to look like a failure because He does not do what He promised. When in fact, man is the one who has failed God, His promise and His purpose. It is time for us individually and collectively to repent and commit to participation with the Lord in this end-time effort To reestablish his dominion in the spirit world. So that the lost of this world can be saved in large numbers. However. For us to participate with him. There has to be a specific foundation of faith and trust. That must be established. In our lives. There are at least seven necessary conditions. Of this life of prayer. First. We need to have. A growing intimate personal relationship with Jesus. Second. We need to have childlike faith in the father. Except you be converted becomes little children. You can't enter the kingdom. Third. We we must have a complete trust and surrender to the father. That he is our father. We are his children. He is in control. There's nothing happening to us that He doesn't know about in advance, and have control over it ultimately. Fourth, we need to have complete confidence that for the child of God, again, our Father's in control of everything. Five, we need to have complete faith in His love for us and His ability to save us, heal us, and keep us. Six, we need to have constant. We need to- there needs to be constant vigilance to remain in submission and be surrendered to the Father's authority and His will. And seven, there needs to be a deep desire to be a part of God's plan and purpose, whatever part that may be, small or great, visible or behind the scenes. Now, every one of these points can be talked about for a long, long time. There's a lot of good stuff here. So I'm not going to go into the details of talking about each one of these specific seven things that are really necessary. You say, well, Brother right?" I can't say any, any or all of those things are really uh, uh, worked out in my life. Of course they aren't. That's why we're growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I have to pray with him because as I commit to him, he will work these things out in me. He's been trying to do that with all of us all this time. Some of us have not given ourselves to him and not giving him the priority in our lives, not giving him the opportunity uh, to be first in our lives so that he can work on these things in us. And many of us, he has worked on some of these things to varying degrees as we've allowed, but we, not understanding what he was doing, we have resisted some of these things, and we can't do that. It's not possible. It's not positive for us to do that. I have a question for you when it comes to kingdom praying. In the Bible, when did Jesus ever pray for himself? You say, well, he was God, not that flesh. And that flesh was going to die. We only have one recorded prayer where he prayed for himself and he was very quick to surrender even that request to God. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. That is the only recorded prayer where Jesus ever... where jesus ever asked for anything for himself and even that he he did not want because he knew it was not the will of god why did he never pray for himself because he knew why he was born he knew what his destiny was he knew what his earthly destination was death therefore what was there to pray for he had absolute confidence that his father was in control I'm asking you the same thing. You're born again of water of the Spirit. You're born again into the kingdom of God. Not the church. It doesn't say the church. You're born again into the kingdom of God. The church is who we are. The kingdom is what we do. We don't do church. We don't have church. We participate in the kingdom as the church. So, what about this? If He is our Savior, and He naturally was a son of God, and we are born again to be sons of God, He knew what His destination was, and we don't. He knew what His destination was in this life, and we don't. I'm not talking about our natural destination where we're going to retire and how much money we're we going to have to live off of. No, no, no. What's our spiritual destination? Why were you born? What are you doing here? I've lived all my life to get to this day. All of my life I've lived for this day. I've looked for this day, longed for this day, prayed for this day, all of my life. There is something very significant going to happen when many, many, many believers around the world begin to pray together. Pray the prayer that the Lord instructed us to pray. Something very significant is going to happen. I've lived all my life for this. I believe it with all my heart. Something very significant is going to happen. Do you know what you're doing here? Are you do you acknowledge that you were born to be a part of His kingdom? That, you, that He has a pre-planned place for you in His kingdom? I believe there's not one human being born That God doesn't have a pre-planned place for them in His kingdom. And the whole issue is whether or not they're going to give themselves to God and be saved so that they then can submit to God and be a part of that kingdom as He plans. Jesus, help us. Our problem is we're so afraid. We are so, so afraid that... (laughs) We're going to suffer. My dear, dear one, I must say this to you. If you have read the Bible at all, you know that suffering is a part of this. It was for Jesus. It is for us. He never promised to make this heaven suffering free, problem free, pain free, pressure free. He never promised that. There's a purpose in all of that. If we suffer with Him, we shall reign with Him. Paul said that I might know Him in the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't that opposite of the order? Shouldn't it be in the fellowship of His sufferings and the power of His resurrection? Shouldn't we suffer then be resurrected? No. No. We were resurrected in Christ. That's how we were born again. We went through the death, burial, and resurrection. We experienced the power of that. But our life is to learn how to fellowship with him. Paul said he went through hungerings often. Thirstings offering, Sufferings often. He went through all of that. Well. If you're avoiding all of that. There's a problem. There's a statement. I want to share with you. The caterpillar's. Suffering. Was a cocoon, not a catastrophe. If you've ever watched a caterpillar in a cocoon, and as his body begins to change and grows wings and becomes a butterfly, he's still inside the cocoon. It's very confining, very restrictive, it's very difficult. And if you watch the violent shaking of that caterpillar, it's become a butterfly in a cocoon. So that's horrible. If you have compassion on him and you cut that cocoon open, you destroy him because the suffering is only there to the degree and long enough that in enduring the suffering, the caterpillar gains the strength in his wings to be able to fly. If you liberate him from the, his sufferings before He has grown and matured and gained strength. He'll try to fly because that's in his nature after the cocoon. But he'll die because he has no strength. We cannot ask God for things without expecting to experience the travail and the pain of the delivery of those things. It never ceases to amaze me that people, believers, pray for stuff. And expect there's no price. We don't buy it. It's not a question of paying the price to buy it. But everything God gives us. Our flesh can take and use for itself. And every one of those blessings can destroy us. So if I'm praying to see something from God. God in his love for me has got to let me suffer enough. To grow enough and develop enough strength. That I will be able to. Stay saved after receiving that. The great man of God who's passed from this life, Brother Billy Cole, said to me as a young preacher many, many years ago, said, Brother Wright, a man has to really fast and pray and consecrate to get a gift from God. But When God gives him that gift, the same gift that could do great things for the kingdom of God through him Puts him in great peril. He said God gave me the gift of faith for people to receive the Holy Ghost. He said I don't ever have to pray for God to give me faith or for people to get the Holy Ghost. I know that he will lead me to where people are ready. And if I go there and they're ready, they're going to get the Holy Ghost. He said what I have to pray for is Billy Cole to be saved. I've never forgot that. And his words are proven true over and over and over again. Whatever I'm asking for, I got to be willing to go through the labor pains to birth it, for it to be delivered. It's not magic where God just snaps his finger, and you suddenly are this or have this. Well, how, how absolutely, totally lacking in the understanding of God, his ways, and his word to think that I can ask for something for God and he'll give it, and it costs me nothing. I don't have to go through anything. The Lord said, the Lord said, every person that's given up houses and lands and mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and wife for the gospel, is going to receive a hundredfold more in his life. But the verse doesn't stop there. With persecutions. Why? Because first of all, the persecutions are a motive check. If you know there's going to be persecutions with the hundredfold, are you going to be satisfied with what you got? You don't want the hundredfold? Second of all, the persecution is going to keep me saved after I receive all that because it will keep me reminded that I didn't make this happen. I'm not responsible for this. Paul said, what do you have you haven't received? And if you received it, what are you boasting about it for? God doesn't pay me. I'm his child. He gives to me as his child. I don't get rewards from God. I don't get pay from God. He takes care of me. I'm His child. So, therefore, He's the source of everything, and He's the one that gets the glory. And I can't take any credit for any of it. This is what the Word of God is trying to teach us. Everything the Lord does or allows in our lives is intended to prepare us for what He has purposed to do through our lives. Everything. If I'm a child of God, Everything that God allows in my life is for the purpose of preparing me for what He has purposed to do through my life. And if I'm not willing to submit to that, then either He will never work through me, or if He does work through me, I will take the credit for it and it will cost me my soul. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. Let me go a little farther here. As we continue in this lesson and the next, we need to consider two types or arenas of daily prayer. The first is the positioning prayer. It is relationship or fellowship praying. And all of that is important because I'm here to have a relationship with Jesus. But my personal relationship with Jesus positions me so that he now can work through me in what's called ministry prayer or this is kingdom prayer. This is what God does through me. The two different arenas or types of prayer. You can't separate those two. Unfortunately, so many people, so many people, so many, many people, they only pray for themselves. They only pray for what they need, what they want. They don't have time. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time or the desire to let God use them as instruments of prayer. in uh Matthew chapter six um, well, <laughs> there it is Matthew chapter six, the Bible says that uh no, I'm sorry, I was there <laughs> in uh, Luke chapter eleven verse one the bible says uh, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased. One of his disciples said unto him. Lord teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. The Bible of basic English says. And it came to pass. That he was in prayer in a certain place. And when he came to an end. One of his disciples said to him. Lord will you give us teaching. About prayer as John did to his disciples. Now. I understand that they wanted to be taught how to pray, but I have to believe that at this point in time, they'd heard Jesus pray more than once. And that they knew and they began to really recognize how different his prayer was from theirs. How very different. And so when they said, teach us to pray, now John taught his disciples to pray. We want to learn like you pray. We want to learn to pray like you pray. The word disciple here means more than in the New Testament than a mere pupil or learner, according to the Complete Word Study Dictionary. It, is a, it speaks of an adherent who accepts the instruction given to him and makes it his rule of conduct. So a disciple is someone who not only has taught principles, but they put them into practice. Are we a disciple? The question is, do we need Jesus to teach us to pray? Why would the disciples need Jesus to teach them to pray? Why do we need Jesus to teach us to pray? Because we have an infirmity, as I've already read in Romans 8, 26, 27. We don't know how to pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. We expanded translation, of Romans eight twenty six says, and in like manner also the Spirit leads us, lends us a helping hand with reference to our weakness. For the particular thing that we should pray for, according to what is necessary in the nature of the case, we do not know, We do not know with an absolute knowledge. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. We need God to teach us to pray. We need Him to teach us. How to pray. But, and I, I know I'm hitting some high points here. and Some of them may not seem to be flowing together. And that's, I don't have a problem with that. I'm hitting these high points. I'm not exhausting any of these subjects. What I'm really doing, to be quite honest with you, is I am purposely, consciously sowing seed into your spirit, into your heart. I don't really particularly care whether or not your mind understands this while you're listening to it. That really is of no consequence to me because I don't have any ability to enable you to clearly see any of this. It has to be done by the Spirit of God and by the Spirit of God alone. I'm just a conduit, just an instrument. I am not the persuader. He is. But more than all of that, I also understand that none of these concepts are instantaneously received, fully understood, and fully implemented in a short few seconds of time. So I believe that a teacher, which I believe that I am first and foremost, is a seed sower. And I'm sowing seeds of revelatory principles into your heart and your mind and your spirit and I am believing that the Lord is going to cause those seeds, those of principles, to begin to germinate and to grow and then begin to produce fruit. And by the time these things are working in your life, the goal is that you won't even remember who sowed the seed. That's the goal. That's my goal. I have no interest in you remembering who sowed the seed because in the length of time it takes for that seed to germinate, and then grow and produce fruit in your life. It is my desire, because I desire to be dead in my life, hid with Christ and God, Colossians 3 and 3, that you won't even remember who sowed the seed, because he is the seed sower, and he is the seed, and I'm only the conduit. So I'm, I'm hitting some high points here. Here's, here's another point that is so very, very, very important. Motives matter to God. It's not important, it's not just important to Him that we pray His way. It's important to uh, Him that we pray for the right motive, with the right motive. For instance, James 4 and verse 2 says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not, because you ask not. But he didn't stop there. You ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. What is the, what's wrong in the way I ask? That you may consume it upon your own lusts. The Amplified Version says, uh, skipping to the last line of verse 2, You do not have because you do not ask. Or you do ask God for them and yet fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose and evil selfish motives. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it in sensual pleasures. Or we expanded translation. You do not have because you are not praying for something to be given you. You pray for something to be given you and do not receive because you pray with evil intent in order that you may use it for self-gratification in your inordinate passions. I was talking to my youngest son yesterday and he said, the Lord has been dealing with me to help me understand and know how to discern the difference between hunger in people and desperation. And when he said it to me, I... I thought, well, it's different. I didn't at the time really understand the difference. But in prayer this morning, the Lord said this to me, and I'm not reading what I wrote down. I'm just going to kind of summarize it. When a hungry person comes to God, and they seek for God, and they seek for things from God, whatever God gives them because of their hunger, it draws them closer to God. It always draws them closer to God not closer to the thing that was given them, but closer to God because of His love He demonstrated in the giving. But when a person has something going on in their life and they're desperate, but they're not hungry, and they come to Jesus out of desperation, and in desperation they seek God for help in the situation that they're desperate over, and He hears their prayer, and He answers their prayer, and he deals with the situation they're desperate over and solves their problem. Because they're des- they came to him desperate, but not hungry. When everything returns to normal, they drift away. Because they were after what he could give them, not after him. And there are many people like this. Many people. In a time of emergency... In their panic praying. It's when they do pray. And oh they will pray. The doctor's diagnosis is bad. Or there's some kind of financial crisis. Or your marriage is on the rocks. Or your kids are acting crazy. whatever. Oh you're desperate. It's desperate. You're desperate. And you get serious about prayer. And and because you're serious about the prayer. And, and you're desperate. And you come to God. And he's kind and merciful and loving. He will give you what you're asking. But over time you will prove that you weren't hungry. You will prove you just came to Him out of desperation. Because when everything returns to normal you go back to the way you were. You don't get closer to God. You go farther away. But the problem is now it's okay to risk even more because if you get desperate you can come to God and he'll fix it all. So you can live your way, live your life how you want to. And it's all okay. Because he'll fix it. That's not the people he's looking for. I know that some teach that the, Lord, the rapture of the church is going to be a rescue mission. That so many are falling away that if the Lord doesn't come quickly, there won't be any of us left. I, I'm so sorry. I don't believe that at all. At all. The rapture of the church is a groom coming for his bride. Do you really want a bride that has to be beaten in submission to marry you? I've said this many times. But if on the evening of November the 1st, 1968, while I stood at the altar waiting, hearing the wedding march, or the bridal here comes the bride, whatever that song is, (laughs) waiting for the back doors of the church to open, see my bride and her dad come in the back door. If there'd have been a commotion and the back doors would have burst open and he had his back to me dragging her down the aisle and she's resisting and, in a scene because she doesn't want to marry me he wouldn't have gotten very far I'd have been down that aisle in a heartbeat and I would have said to Mr. Singletary brother if she doesn't want me any more than this I don't want her either there's not going to be a wedding here tonight I'm not marrying somebody has got to be forced to marry me and for those of you that believe that the tribulation is necessary to get the church right with God so he can come save her. I'm sure glad I'm not married to you. I'm, not, I'm sure glad I wasn't waiting on you stand at the altar that night. Because <laughs> I don't want to be married to eterni- for eternity to someone who doesn't want me as much as I want them. And you know something? I'm made in his image after his likeness. I don't believe he wants somebody who doesn't want him as much as he wants them. That's why we're going to be involved in kingdom praying. That's why. In the next uh, lesson, I'm going to give go into kingdom praying. The specifics of kingdom prayer. Enough preparation. <laughs> I'm going to go into kingdom praying. Go into the details of it. And I'm... Uh, Hoping and praying that you will make the time to listen to this. I know this lesson was a little longer than the others. And I pray that whatever your capacity is for receiving the word, that you've figured out a way to be able to hear this lesson in its entirety, even if you had to break it up into parts. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. I pray that the Spirit of the Lord has talked to your heart. In Jesus' name, God bless you.